This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. I use Podbean to host Tale of the Manticore. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old-school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. Chapter 61 details the awful mass funeral necessary for the many dwarves who lost their lives below in the mines fighting the Ankegs and above when Neranumanax, the Crimson Queen, attacked the Citadel. Since the erstwhile chief, Banner Augerstone, fell in battle, a new chief was needed, and following dwarven law, the eldest in the community accepted the crown. This person is Lorawain Smale. She had served Thangar as their chief artificer and Grumblebelly's master, until duty required she take on this new role. One of the first things she does as chiefess is to offer Harl and his companions a permanent home in Thangar if they wish it. The companions for the most part are unsure what they should do. There is yet another falling out when Umora criticizes Gyrios for praying to his own god during the Dwarven funeral. Their recent experiences have clearly taken a toll on them emotionally. But the experience has also made them stronger. Chapter 61 is a level up episode for the two spellcasters. Rolls for hit points are modest for both, but minor stat increases are gained, and of course, new spells. For Gyrios especially, the jump in magical power is a big one. He gains access to level 3 and level 4 spells as he reaches level 6. He also unlocks a special power in his new magical mace. The episode wraps up in the middle of a private council called by the newly crowned Chiefess Smale. The four Jumanon, guildmasters of a sort, each have their say while their leader listens. We'll begin this episode by finding out which of these Jumanon was the most convincing. The Jumanon have said their piece, and now it is time for the chieftess to consider her counselor's wisdom. As is typical of traditional dwarven leaders, Lorawain Smale carefully hears out each of her advisors before making a decision. The dwarves believe that this is how a good chief forges bonds with their lieutenants. They ask for their input, and recognize that all of it has value. 
Still, she could not take everyone's advice. I wonder which way she is leaning at the moment. Let's quickly recap their positions. Yoli, Duminon of Metalworks, wants to rebuild the Citadel's defenses and fight the dragon right here in Thangar. Mohag, in charge of mining, does not present any solutions but is dead set against recreating their citadel fully underground as their ancestors, the Agudunites, had done so long ago. Kamion, Duminon of the Mushroom Fields, advises against remaining amongst the crops for too long. As for Woded, Master of Beasts, he thinks they should leave Thangar, at least temporarily, and seek refuge in Sacheros, or else go west. I'll roll a reaction check to see how Chief Death Smale receives these masters' advice. Of course, we haven't heard from everyone present, but this will give us a place to start. To Yoli's idea, stay, build, and fight. A 6 on a 2d6. Smale is not very fond of this idea. She understands that in a battle waged ground to air, the dragon, a virtually unbeatable foe, even in ideal circumstances, would annihilate them with ease. To Mohag and Kamion, who say they must not remain underground for too long. An 8. Well, the dice say that she takes this advice to heart. Smale is as proud as any dwarf and does not wish to spend the rest of her life hiding in a hole. Lastly, to Woded, who said they should leave Thangar. Another six. No, she is not keen to be the chief who led her people like lambs to the slaughter before she had even sat a throne that was not carved out of a mushroom. Chapter 62 Part 1. Day 71. Night. Party status. Harl, 21 of 34 hit points. Gyrios, 26 of 37. Eridine, 7 of 18. Umura, 25 of 25. Spells available. Umura has memorized. Hold portal. Light. Levitate. Knock. Lightning bolt. And water breathing. Gyrios has prayed for. Hold person. Harl, you are the chief of Dorivar. Gyrios, your shield speaks for you, but my seneschal speaks highly of your wisdom as well. Umura, I am told your mind is as bright as a diamond. And Eridine, I have heard of your unflinching bravery. I would know your thoughts too. Umura guessed that the chieftess's speech was mostly for the benefit of the other assembled Thangarians, for some of them had no idea who they were. Gyrios was the first of them to respond. Chieftess Smale, he began, I am no tactician, but with all respect to the Master of Beasts, my heart tells me that to lead your people to another location outside would be to take a very great risk. Afraid of offending, he did not elaborate, and Umura was relieved that he held back, as she felt he tended to talk too much. For herself, she had nothing to add to the conversation. She couldn't speak intelligently about something she had never seen before. Eridine, as usual, remained silent, too. Presently, Harl slipped off his mushroom seat and began pacing a slow circle within the ring of those assembled. His hands were clasped behind his back, and his eyes were downcast. Chief Jess, he began. For me, there is only one course to take. We should not stay here long term, as some of your honorable Dumanons have said. We dare not take the whole population outside, for that well may be to serve all of Thangar to Nerenumanax as a meal on a platter. Umur noticed that Harl was using the pronoun we, not you. She also noticed that he got a reaction when he used the dragon's name. Apparently some of those assembled had not made the connection between the recent attack and the stories of old. Therefore, 
After giving it much thought, I have come to a decision. What have you decided, Chief Stonecarver? Harl was about to answer when he was cut off by Roland Daz Argerstone, who leapt to his feet and banged his gauntlet against his chest. It was plain to see that he was agitated. His cheeks were ruddy, and his eyes shone. It was strange to see him so animated, after knowing him thus far as just another silent member of the walking wounded. I have made a decision, he seethed. Chief Stonecarver, you are an esteemed warrior, and you wear the champion's armor, but you are not a Thingarian. I am the grandson of Baynar Augerstone, and I will not sit by while an outsider claims my right. Dramatis Personae Nerenumenex, the Crimson Queen Nerenumenex, the ancient red dragon, winged heavily back towards her roost atop the cloud spur. Her mouth and nostrils still trailed smoke. Her gorge was full of dwarf meat. Behind her, the dwarven citadel was nothing more than a winking orange dot on the mountainside. Today had been the first day of what she planned to be a long-lasting punishment. She would allow her old enemy no rest. She would destroy everything they held dear, little by little. She would root them out from their hiding holes, and she would not stop until the hornblower who had summoned her found the courage to face her in battle. This time, there would be no retreat. Whomever had called her had summoned forth their own doom. As she neared the Agogen, passing over the brown-gray wrinkled landscape of the Kazmirioth range, she saw movement far below on the surface. These tiny shapes, she knew, were creatures on the march, all crossing the land and coming together as though drawn by a great lodestone toward the spire. There were lumbering giants, giant kin, strange beasts that lived in dark places, and lesser creatures too. They were all converging on the foot of her mountain, just as they had centuries before. Word of the return of the Crimson Queen was spreading. These creatures would be content to live at her feet, basking in her great aura, serving her, worshipping her. They would grovel for the scraps she threw down from above, suspended between fear and adulation. Since the beginning of time, dragons had always held such sway over the creatures of darkness. Nerenumenex swooped lower and then glided over the heads of a pair of gray-skinned stone giants. They looked up as she passed and then dropped to their knees the moment they saw her. When she reached the cloud spur, she spiraled her way to the top, corkscrewing around the mountain, making a display of herself and roaring triumphantly when she reached the top, the place where she had made a new home among the ruins of the Agogen. Would you like to know more about some of the most influential role-playing games out there? Roll to Save is a podcast dedicated to the history of RPGs and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts from and at rolltosave.blog. We take a long hard look at the origins of some of the biggest games and their often turbulent histories. Roll to Save also looks at how modern games have been shaped by the games that came before. So. If you fancy delving into the fascinating history of role-playing games, visit rolltosave.blog or search for Roll to Save on your podcast directory of choice. 
You can also contact us at at SavePodcast on Twitter. Join us on a trip down memory lane. You might be surprised at what you learn. Chapter 62 Part 2 Day 71 Night Party Status The party status is unchanged. Rolandaz Augerstone's outburst took Harl completely by surprise. He simply stared at the younger dwarf, stunned into silence. As for Rolandaz, panic flashed briefly across his face as he realized what he had just said and to whom, but he had gone too far to turn back and pressed on. It is my right, my fight to claim. Listen, all of you. The look of panic came back but disappeared almost immediately, replaced by frowning resolve. I will hunt and kill the dragon. In my father's name, in the name of Thangar, I will slay the worm. Those assembled stared back at him blankly. An onlooker might have thought they didn't speak his language, given their empty expressions. Listen, Rolandaz repeated. He positioned himself to face the chiefess and the Duminons while putting his back to the humans. You all know me, and you knew and loved my grandfather. I respect your judgment, so I will come to the point. The dragon is not going to leave on its own. We need to kill it. Hunt it down and kill it. Here he paused for a moment. When he spoke again, the strength had disappeared from his voice. And I'm the one to do it. There followed a heavy, pregnant silence. Chieftain Smell broke it. Chief Stonecarver, we have not yet heard from you. What do you have to say? I think, Harl began. He was still on his feet and now walked slowly over to Rolandaz. He stopped directly in front of the younger dwarf, so close that their noses almost touched. He looked him right in the eye. I think that this young dwarf is the champion Thangar needs. Thank you for meeting me so late, said Chief Jess Mail. She was not alone when Harl arrived, answering her summons. The speaker for the High Enzo, Draylin Argantin, was with her. They were sitting together under a lip of pinkish-white fungal membrane. It overhung their makeshift camp like an enormous parasol. Little glowing lamps had been placed here and there on an expansive carpet that featured geometric designs. It had been brought here from the palace by one of several salvage crews that had been sent to the surface to save what they could after the coronation ceremony finished. As Harl drew near, Draylin noticed him, stood up, and smoothed out his loose red robes. The speaker nodded to Harl, but said nothing. He whispered a few brief words to the chiefess, however, before taking his leave, disappearing into the darkness beyond the little campsite. Sit, please. Chiefess Smale offered Harl a cushion with a brocade design, and Harl accepted it, sitting down heavily. It's not much of a throne room, I confess. She laughed a little laugh. I cannot even offer you something to eat. Oh, no. I'm not hungry. Harl lied. I do have a little of this, though. Chiefess Smale offered him a small glazed clay pot, which he accepted. When he unstoppered it and gave it a sniff, the smell of strong Heflin liquor made his nose hairs curl. Oh, very... Good, he declared. 
Harl took the smallest of sips and pinched his eyes shut before blowing out. Bracing. The chiefess smiled approvingly. She accepted the little pot back and looked hard at Harl. Her smile flattened. Blacknail's armor suits you. I'll give it to young Rolandas, of course. For his quest, said Harl, matter-of-factly. Actually, that is why I had called you here. I was hoping to convince you to keep it. Harl's eyebrows shot up. Oh? Smale chewed her lip for a moment. How can I ask this? Harl, what was it you were going to say before the young Augerstone interrupted you? Oh, well, it's not important, Harl replied. Oh, I rather think it is. Very. Come, humor an old woman. What were you going to say? Well, began Harl. You know, for some time now, I have been consumed with the idea of going back to Dwarvar, going back home, and reclaiming it. Something terribly wrong happened there, you see, and I have been thinking all this time that it was for me to go and set it right. Chief Desmail simply nodded and waited for him to continue. Every chance I had to do that, well, something stood in my way. It damn near drove me to despair, to be honest. Anyway, now I realize that we do not get to choose our fate. Neither can we fight it. Finding the vault, the blowing of the horn, this armor I wear. Grunmog has been shouting in my ear all this time, and, like a fool, I refuse to listen. Perhaps you are not ready to hear him. Or I was unwilling. Well, I see my error now, and I'm ready. You were going to volunteer to hunt down this dragon, weren't you? I was. Haro, if it pleases you, sit and talk with me for another hour. There is much I would speak with you about. Chapter 62 Part 3 Day 72 A few hours before dawn Yegelin Strutright was not like most dwarves. For one, he thought that the dragon attack was just about the best thing that had ever happened to him. His home had not been damaged at all. It was about as far away from the dragon's fury as a dwarf's home could be. He lived in a tiny little place close to the mushroom fields. If it had been any larger, some of the refugees would have been billeted with him, that's for certain. As it was, it was barely large enough to fit him. Like his home, Yegelin was small. Another similarity. He was perpetually unkempt and smelled strongly of the mushroom fields where he worked. Perhaps that was why he had no friends. His habit of talking to himself, whether there were others around or not, might have contributed to that too. Well, friends were overrated. Friends required maintenance, and he couldn't be bothered. He didn't even like his family and avoided them as much as they avoided him. His parents only ever wanted to borrow money, and he was always just a few coppers away from destitution. Yegelin barely scratched out an existence tending the fungi, and he immediately drank away any surplus he managed to earn. Being born into the laborer's caste meant there weren't very many ways to get ahead in life. Not many, but there were a few. A dwarf could make an extra coin here and there if they were keen-eyed and quick-fingered enough. Opportunities to filch valuables from his fellow Thangarians were rare. Too many people knew him, and most people who did avoided him. But the chaos that had come in the wake of the dragon attack had provided a wealth of chances. Yegelin had folded the bottom of his dirty shirt and tucked it into his belt to make a makeshift pouch. In it were four gold coins, four silver coins, and an amethyst. 
none of which had belonged to him at the start of the day. They did now, though. People were distracted and they were not minding their things. He had taken the gemstone during the funeral and it had been easy. That had been hours ago. Now it was late, really late, and Thangar was fast asleep. It would be a cinch to add to his takings. He stifled a yawn. He was unaccustomed to staying up this late, but it would be worth it. He tiptoed from one cavern to another, mumbling a little mantra to himself. I'm not sleepy. I'm not sleepy at all. I'm not sleepy at all. I'm not. He stuck his head into every box, sack, barrel, or crate he could find, mumbling all the time. Mm, what have we here? In a crumpled bag, he found a copper cup and an old apple. He took them both and moved on to the adjacent cavern. He enjoyed the irony that his work with the mushroom crops in these caverns that he knew like the back of his hand and had tended for years had never provided him with much in the way of remuneration. Well, that would change tonight. Hmm, let's have a little look in here. Just, just a little, just a little look, just a little look. He peered into an open box beside a family of refugees sleeping within a ring of gray toadstools. Nothing here. See? Nothing here. He muttered, withdrawing silently and padding off into the darkness to the next camp. Within an hour, he had made a few decent finds and was feeling like the luckiest dwarf in Thangar. He was entering one of the last caverns that made up the network of places they called the Mushroom Fields when he happened upon the sleeping form of three humans. Even though he had overheard conversations about the two women and the man with the silver shield who, if rumors were true, accompanied an actual chief, it was still a bit of a shock to see them. He gave them a careful looking over. Now, even in the grayscale of their dark vision, a dwarf knows gold when he sees it. What a lovely sword you have. His fingers extended towards the sleeping form of Eredin, but he pulled them back and drummed them against his lips. Too big, too noisy. He muttered over the sound of their snoring. Dangerous. So dangerous. Instead, squatting on his haunches close enough to touch them, he looked over each of the sleeping companions and their gear before making the decision to take. Just, I'll just, I'll just have one. I'll just have one little thing. Just one. Yegel and Strutright isn't very smart, but he is quiet and nimble. He is also a fourth level thief. Despite his lack of brains, he has the wisdom never to take too much or push his luck. And so he will try to steal one single valuable item from the party. And then, if he can do so without waking them, he plans to disappear. The items that are potentially about to change ownership are Umura's sapphire necklace, her owl of Thersendia, Harl's bag of rubies, Eredin's potion of invisibility, Eredin's coin purse, Gyrios's coin purse, his vial of Mithridaticum elixir, and finally, Gyrios's golden coin holy symbol, which, to Yegelin, would seem just like any other golden coin until later inspection. I'm going to roll his pickpocketing skill first. If he succeeds, I'll roll a d8 to determine what he took. As a fourth level thief, Yegelin has a base 35% chance to succeed. I'm going to double that because the targets are asleep. Interestingly, there's no dexterity bonus to this check. There probably should be. I mean, of all skills, this one requires dexterity, but well, that's a reddit argument and probably doesn't belong here, right? 
Because the characters are level 5 and 6, I'm applying a further 5% penalty, according to the basic rules. So, 65%. The chance of him being discovered is explained in the rules as twice the target number, so, in this case, only a critical failure of 100 on a d100 would mean Yegelin gets caught in the act. Here's the roll. A 49. That's a success. He does manage to grab something. But what will it be? Rolling a d8 to find out. Chapter 62. Part 4. Day 72. Morning. Party status. Harl. 22 of 34 hit points. Gyrios. 27 of 37. Eridine. Having been cured for... 8 hit points by Gyrios using 2 cure light wound spells is now at 16 of 18. Umura. 25 of 25. Spells available. Umura has memorized Hold Portal, Light, Levitate, Knock, Lightning Bolt, and Water Breathing. Gyrios has used a fourth level Cure Serious Wounds spell on Captain Slinghitch to soothe his acid burns. He has the following spells still available. Resist Fire, Hold Person, and Locate Object. Harl had been awake for several hours before he got up. His sleep had been plagued by disturbing dreams, and now he felt raw-eyed and woozy. He looked over to the puffy-capped mushroom Gyrios had been sleeping on, but the cleric was not there. Harl figured he was probably off praying somewhere. Was it past sunrise yet? He felt it was, but he couldn't be sure. Most of the refugees, it appeared, had not yet risen and were still huddled in their makeshift camps. Eridine was dozing softly, not far from Gyrios' mushroom pillow, but Umura was awake. She had her nose in a book, as was her habit in the morning. He also noticed that she was levitating a few inches above the ground, and although he had seen this before, he wondered if he would ever really get used to it. When he got to his feet and stretched, she looked up, gently floated the short distance back down to the cavern floor, and closed her book with a little thud. You are up late, she remarked. Harl knuckled some sleep from his eye. Yes, I was speaking with Smail. Harl gave Umura the highlights of the previous night's conversation. He told her how the chiefess had guessed correctly that he was intending to hunt the dragon, and that she had suggested he join forces with Roland Daz. The young warrior was hell-bent on going and would not be dissuaded, but he would only succeed in getting himself killed if he went alone. It would be better for everyone if they set their paths together, the chiefess thought. Otherwise, they would probably just get in each other's way. She doesn't seem to have too much faith in him, Umora commented. She doesn't doubt his bravery, but what could a single dwarf do on his own? Did you think that the two of you together would be able to do it? I mean, no offense. Well, the chiefess did not consider at first that I was only volunteering myself. Ah, I see. Well, of course, she was right. Umora, Harl looked at her very seriously. I would not ask you to come along this time. I don't think you could stop me, returned the sorceress, or the others. We belong together. I appreciate it. I do. But this time, this is a task I do not expect to come back from, if it is even possible to complete. Umura did not break eye contact. She didn't even blink. I know, she said. They looked at each other for a long time, 
and might have for some time longer if Aradine's stirring did not break the moment. Look who's up, said Umura casually. Once Harl had repeated to Aradine everything he had told to Umura, the young rogue promised her support without hesitation. There is much that needs to be worked out before we can even begin, said Harl. We have to find the beast, and we have to figure out a way to fight it. He touched his blackened breastplate in the spot where Grithwhip had once tried and failed to bind a jewel with the aim of augmenting its power. Chief Tesmel said that if only we had a ruby large enough, she would be willing to risk the same binding spell Grithwhip attempted. She said she has read his notes and she thinks she could do it. Eredine asked Harl if Thangar did not have such a treasure, and Harl shook his head. No, Eredine, this ruby would have to be very large. He held up his hand with his finger and thumb an inch apart. Umura's hand went to her own sapphire necklace. She seemed lost in thought. And there's the problem of convincing Roland Daz to work together with us instead of on his own. I have heard he is a good fighter. We could use him. Of course, he's hot-blooded and proud. I'm not sure he'll be willing to join us. Harl, said Umura. She had a faraway look in her eyes. I think I know where to get the ruby. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you enjoy and would like to support the show, there are now four ways to do so. You can recommend the show online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can pick up my rules ultralight RPG called One Shot in the Dark on DriveThruRPG for a buck fifty. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your favorite podcatcher. I'm grateful to everyone who has done any of these. I'd like to read another review from iTunes today. This one was posted by Misty801. Misty writes, I listened to about a dozen actual play podcasts. A few have stopped recording, so I've been searching for some new listens, and I came across this podcast, and I am blown away. It's a perfect blend of old school rules, dice rolls, and storytelling. The audio is great, which isn't always the case. I'm hooked. Binging as fast as possible to catch up. I've got about 30 sessions to go, but I don't think it's going to take much time. Thank you so much, Misty801. I'm pleased to be able to create something that people enjoy, let alone is bingeable. It's also nice to hear that people like the old school approach. We are living in a 5e world after all. Anyway, if you keep listening, I'll keep making. My gratitude also goes out to the voice actors whose efforts make all the difference. New to the show and taking on the daunting role of Roland Daz Augerstone, I'm happy to welcome Jared Grimm to the cast. Find Jared on Twitter at CrazyDrunkenElf. Returning to play the role of Chiefdess, Laura Wayne Smale, is Allie from Syracuse, New York's Fed Ash. If you like heavy music, go and find them on Spotify. Benjamin of Lawful Great Adventures absolutely nails the role of Yeagle and Strutright, playing his third character on the show. Thanks so much to all three of you. For listeners who would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at Manticore Tale or on Instagram at Tale of the Manticore Podcast. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. For artwork, show notes, and other extras, please visit taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The story will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Do you need a palate cleanser after your favorite character from Tale of the Manticore just died? But still want an actual play podcast that takes itself a little bit seriously? Check out Lawful Great Adventures, a Pathfinder first edition podcast about four friends on a long journey home. With compelling lore drawn from the tarot, 
great character chemistry, a killer soundtrack, and a story full of conflict both personal and cosmic, Lawful Great Adventures will keep you immersed for hours of mid-fantasy listening. Check us out on Twitter at great underscore lawful, or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Campaign 2 begins in January of 2022.